Hey everyone, and a massive welcome to the Dedicate Podcast. Here we speak to inspiring people about the highs and lows in their lives. We delve into our guest rock bottoms and learn how they pulled themselves out to achieve great things. You'll learn what makes them tick and they'll share their valuable life lessons to help you to get the most out of your life. We discuss various topics from health and fitness, motherhood, mental health, body image, business and more. It's a bit serious, but it's also a lot of fun too. I'm Kate Ivey, your host, and today I am chatting to the incredible Tony Street. Tony's book, Lost and Found, skyrocketed to number one in New Zealand, and it's not at all surprising. It's an emotional yet inspiring read that will leave you with so much respect and admiration for Tony and her family. Today we cover an array of topics from her amazing book and Tony shares insights into managing guilt, body image, surrogacy, supporting others who are grieving and much more. How are you? Good, really good. How's everything going up there? Uh, we're a bit over lockdown. Yeah, how many um, days is it now? I think today's day 80. Oh man. And what's the general um, consensus like? Just everyone's just done, just yeah, not knowing when. It's just and I think, you know, people can probably hang out till Christmas if they knew we were being released for Christmas. But yeah. this last talk about being locked a bit further, I think everyone's going to start rebelling. I think that's oh. how it feels at the moment. I bet. Like so, you know, we were only in it for three weeks, and that yeah. felt tough enough. That's bad enough, eh? Yeah. yeah, and it feels like we've been out of it for so long, and to think that you guys have been in lockdown for that time is just yeah, so hard to imagine. Time. Yeah, it's it's really weird because um, you know we kind of knew. So like, so I don't think schools will go back, the primary schools anyway. Yeah. But um, just like I cannot believe that even entertaining the Christmas, not not being able to let people yeah. travel in that. And I think, yeah, I, I just don't think people are going to stick to those rules. No. So, oh, God, I hate to think it's oh. going to happen. Fingers yeah. crossed for everyone anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, at least you can get out and do your work that you love. and. I know. I'm so – and that's what I mean. Like, my husband, so he quit his job when I did the America's Cup and the Olympics. Yeah. And so he was going to be going back to work at the start of next year. And he's going crazy because oh he gosh, just homeschools until I get home. And then I kind of take over. And yeah. um, But he just – he's straight away, he's like, okay, I need to go and get some coffee while you do that. Okay. <laughs> he's probably secretly, like, applying for supermarket jobs or something. Oh, <laughs> totally. Off. He's like, oh, God, anything to get me out of this. Yeah. yeah. And the homeschooling is <laughs> tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's not so bad with my eldest. She's nine, yeah. but my six-year-old, she's kind mm. of has to be walked through everything. Yeah, so and then not knowing, are you doing enough? Are you not doing enough? And you have days oh. where you think, oh, just keeping them um, here is enough. But other days yeah. you just I know, and so I feel sorry up. for them because they do all their schoolwork with us. And the usual thing at school, the um, trade-off for that is being able to see their friends and everything, and then they can't do that. So it's like, mm. there's no good part. <laughs> do they Zoom their friends? Yeah, they Zoom their yeah. friends. And we're allowed to have one family picnics now outside. Oh, yes. So, but the weather's oh. been so crappy oh. that, yeah. Because the picnics do sound fun. Yeah, 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 they are, as long as the day's nice. Yeah, oh, there's not much you can do with it. It's pouring, pouring with rain, is there? No, no. And no. so massive congratulations on your book. Um, Thank you. Yeah, wow. Like... I really almost don't know what to say. It's just incredible what you and your family have been through, what I found so amazing about it. And everyone out there, if you haven't read the book, 
it's a must read. It's been number one for how long, Tony? Um, it just clicked over to number one again yesterday for the fourth week in New Zealand. And the first three weeks, I think it was New Zealand at one, number one overall. That's um, international books oh, as wow. well. So, that's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, which is, has blown me away. Yeah. I can't believe how people have responded to it because I've never done a book before. So it's just yeah. territory for me. So that's something I want to ask you about soon is, you know, how you go about writing a book. But um, yeah, something I just wanted to say was obviously you and your family have been through like incredible grief and lots of challenges. But what was so incredible and what really stuck out was how much love you have as well in your lives. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think when you have such massive things happen in your life, like massive grief moments, mm. I do think you can go one of two ways. I think it can be so hard to deal with that it does divide you. And yeah a lot of marriages break up over particularly the loss of a child but mm. I can do the opposite as well because you know you definitely feel like your family members are the only ones that actually truly understand because yeah. they loved that person that you've lost as well so yeah and I think in our case it has you know made us a stronger family mm. um particularly but then that comes back to the way we were raised by mum and dad as well yeah uh, very tight-knit from the beginning so we were tight before so naturally you know mm. um when particularly for them when they lost their third child for my sister and I you know we were always going to be there for them and try and make the imaginable um yeah. you know try and help them in any way we could because it's so hard to understand you know what your parents went through are going through like you sort of think in in life you know things ha happen I mean when you become a mum you know like your heart just changes so much and you think maybe if something bad happens or oh, that's it that's your yeah, thing and, exactly and that yeah. happened three times for my parents so you can mm. imagine after losing the first and the second child and then they you know, they sort of managed to keep going and then to lose a third child all those years later when they felt like they'd had more than their fair share of tragedy. Mm. It was it was almost unbelievable that that oh. would strike a third time. It is unbelievable. All different things too. Yeah. You know? Just, oh, just so hard. But um, as we we're saying, that's where that love is just it's so strong and, um with your husband as well like he seems like such an amazing person as well and you know he lost his father so do you feel like um you almost couldn't have been with someone who hadn't shared grief like it yeah it's it's hard to know I certainly think um it was really fate me meeting Matt when I did yeah because I met him in my first year of university and I just lost my brother and it had only been four years since he'd lost his father yeah. and I do feel like um fate sort of aligned in that respect and I don't know I just think when you go through that at a young age so you know I was 18 when my brother died but also I had lived with parents who had lost two other children it does make you grow up and mature a lot quicker because you do see you know the depths of despair that mm. perhaps you might not see until you're older and little trivial things are not worth worrying about yeah so I do think it almost makes you um 
not suffer fools as easily. So yeah. I feel like I knew the minute I met Matt that he had a real depth to him. Yeah. And, you know, people can have depth for the, to them, obviously, when they haven't been through tra- tragedy as well. Mm. But I just think it makes you, um, I don't think you have as, as great a tolerance once you've been through something that big for people that um, don't, yeah. I, I don't know, don't have that depth to them in yeah. some way. You just, yeah. you know, I can't imagine me being with someone that didn't understand and didn't have that um, sort of caring side to them because yeah. you know you really you really need that and your mm. whole your outlook on life definitely changes when you go through something like that you um, you know how fragile life can be and you also I don't know just trivial things as much as we all get wound up by trivial things on a daily basis yes yeah, it's part of being human isn't it yeah, it's part of being human, yeah. but you do learn very quickly what truly matters and how yeah. easily things can be taken away. Yeah, and how long to spend on those trivial things before you just go, you know, it doesn't matter, let's move on, let's focus on the yeah. positives. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed a lot is you talked a lot about guilt, and I wanted to talk a bit about this because it's something that I I struggle with a bit. Um, deeper than the, than the mother's guilt, I have a child with... Um, autism and I blame myself and you know there's all these just depth of it of of emotions and it came up a lot in your book I think naturally as parents and particularly as mothers I think you look at yourself when anything doesn't go quite the way it's meant to and I think Mm -hmm. that's a natural emotion and I especially if you're someone that takes a lot of self-responsibility in life in general. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I was very much like that, but there you almost need to have, if you're a person like that, I think people around you to make you see sense Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to, to see that on your own, because I think that's an inherent quality. If you're someone that takes the burden of things on a lot, you're just wired that way. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, it would take whenever I felt guilty for things. So I remember in the early days when I had Juliet and I knew that I was going to back to work when she would be about 12, 14 weeks old. And even though when I think back now, I'd be gone at the crack of dawn, I'd be home by 10 a.m. So I had most of the day with her. But then when I came home, I was too scared to do anything for myself because I thought, well, you know, I'm working early. So this is going to be all dedicated to her. And it took for my mum to say, you need to go out and have a run and that is not a selfish thing to do you're allowed Mm -hmm. to do that but it was almost like I needed permission from someone um they needed to to knock the sense into me and I think there are lots of people particularly women who are like that and Mm -hmm. you need someone else external to give you the reality of the situation because I think it's natural to beat up on yourself Mm -hmm. and particularly you're a perfectionist or you got high standards and things don't go well so that's where I think your support network and having someone who can actually identify when you're in that space is so important and I'm lucky for me I've always had my mum to do that yeah amazing and if you got to a stage where you can mostly recognize that you need that in yourself that you don't need especially that especially with yeah yeah especially with parenting I think yeah. I'm so different now um, with my youngest is three and Juliet's now nine, my eldest. I'm such a bit different parent to what I was in those early days where, you know, um, I would just beat myself up if I was too tired to take her for a walk or if I was too tired to do this. Now my whole perspective, like my perspective is flipped and it's, if she's a happy child and 
then that's all that matters. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be 24-7 at the everyone. In fact, I actually think it makes it's better for the child. If you yeah, there's a lot of out. helicopter parenting yeah. out there, isn't there? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And to, to learn to let them fail. And I, I say to the kids a lot, I say, you're so lucky. You, you've got um, one, either mum or dad is there every day to pick you up from school. We coach your sports teams. So if they have to go to someone's house after school because we're busy with work one day, then so be it. And it's, it's teaching them that, you know, parents have to work, parents have yeah. to do things too. Um, but I do genuinely think it's easier said than done because if yep. you're wired that way, it's, yeah, it's very hard to tell yourself to not feel guilty when you do, because you can't change that. Yeah, totally. I read something the other day and it was, um, Jay Shetty, he's a motivational guy and yep. said something about as long as you're trying and remember that you are the judge and the jury. So it's about having your yes. own expectations and what fits in with what you think. And like you're saying about the sports practices. So that makes you feel like you're doing an amazing job. So when you do those things, then it almost gives you permission to have those other days where you're working and that type oh, of thing. Oh, totally. And I, th I think we it's very easy to compare ourselves to other people too. Mm. Um, and everyone is everyone has got a certain image of how you think they're coping, but it might not yeah. be the reality at all. Yeah. And I think everyone's just trying to do the right thing, particularly as parents, by their kids. And yeah. you'd be surprised at the ones who think they've got it all together, how they're second-guessing themselves yeah. just as much. They just don't outwardly say it. Mm. Amazing. And um, learning to slow down was a massive thing for you, wasn't it? I still don't think I've learned that entirely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest. Um, I it's it's a real balance because I think different people cope with different levels of um, stress and speeds in their life and I, I am a person that I genuinely think I do have a lot of energy because I will have people say to me how on earth do you get up at four in the morning and do yeah. your job and then still coach the netball team and do that I, I am a morning person and my yeah. dad's exactly the same so I operate best in the morning but you see me at five o'clock yeah. and I am Done. you're done yeah. <laughs> I am done like the thought of you know going and doing an activity after dinner is yeah. just mind-blowing yeah and so I think um you've got to work out what you can tolerate and you yeah. only work that out from pushing yourself to a point where you go nah, I'm spiraling out of control yeah. here but I for me I have to have a certain level of busyness because mm -hmm. if I don't then I start to get a bit of a wandering mind and I go, oh yeah I'm, I'm exactly the you same know? I just yeah oh. yeah so I'm actually better it's almost a coping a mechanism it, isn't it, it to is. keep busy yeah I actually think it's a mental health thing for me yeah and I like structure if I don't have structure to my day and that's why I think a lot of people in lockdown at the moment particularly in Auckland um yeah they're looking at routine yeah we've lost our structure and it's even when you go on holiday yeah even when yeah. you go on holiday sometimes it's such a relief to get back to your routine like it's so amazing it on a holiday but it's like oh thank goodness routine back no, to feeling myself yeah we're simple creatures like that <laughs> and I think everyone needs a different level and you've just got to find out what works for you and not compare yourself to others because like I say some people thrive on being ridiculously busy I mm. think I'm somewhere in the middle yeah yeah I think I'm one of those people that I'm like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And then, and then when I'm not, I'm like, okay, where's the next thing? Come on. Yes, same. Then you get <laughs> idle and you think, I'm not doing anything with my life. Like, what am yeah. I doing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Um, and you're obviously incredibly ambitious. And it, it felt like a lot of that has come from wanting to make your parents happy as well. 
Yeah, it's a funny one, the ambition, because mm. I'm ambitious in the sense that we were raised to best the, be the best we can be at whatever we're doing. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to become a sports reporter and I and I loved that road and I went down it. But people will say to me now, oh, what's next? What's your big thing? And I think at the age, I'm 38 now and my ambitions <laughs> I wouldn't say dwindled but yeah. you know I'm I'm quite content with where I am and yes if opportunities come along like this year I had the America's Cup and the Olympics and I absolutely loved doing yeah. those but I wouldn't say I am knocking on doors saying please let yeah. me do this so I wonder what? if it kind of seems like you are crazy ambitious because we see you on the television whereas I guess there's a lot of people out there who are the same who are lawyers and accountants and all sorts yeah. of different things but we just don't see them on tv so we, yeah, and um, the reality yeah. is, the reality is, and I, I say this when I get asked by young media students or journalism students, the reality is I worked bloody hard in the first probably five years I was at TVNZ to show yeah. them that I had an amazing work ethic. Mm -hmm. I was prepared to do the menial tasks. Um, they could trust me to do the job if I was asked to do a task. And I think when you start a career and you do that and that do the hard graphs I did every shift under the sun 11 yeah. at night 7 in the morning whatever yeah. um I think you get known then as the person who is dedicated to that job yeah. do what it takes and you become trustworthy yeah. and I think once you get a reputation for that opportunities arise out of that I feel like you you, you put on the hard that. yards and then you get to yeah, reap do, the rewards for as and long. quite serious yeah. quite seriously for me that is how my career has worked out I yeah. haven't had to go hunting for jobs because mm -hmm. I feel like I've stuck to my knitting I've done what I was good at and then opportunities have come from that you know it's yeah. when I got the breakfast television job that was what happened I got asked to do it mm -hmm. and then I got asked to go to seven sharp and yeah. then I got asked to do the Olympics you know what I mean they they flow on from yeah. each other but, but they just they didn't just fall on your lap you worked your ass no. off in those you know to yes. get recognized Yes, but I think sometimes um, people think you have to do big flashy things to get these jobs when actually you just have to have very, very good work ethic yeah. and be good at what you do. And if you're not good at it, then find out a way to be good at it. Yeah, keep working on it or find something yeah. that you are good at. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the quote um, that Jim Tally, is it Jim Tally? Um, Jim Tally, yeah. Be hungry and ambitious without being an arsehole. Yeah. And, and you know what, it's the saying of it's hard to find good people. And I think when you say good people, not just good at the job, but actually you Genuinely. want to work with them as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think most people these days would take someone who's reasonable at their job and a good person over the person who's amazing, but just a real yeah. dick. <laughs> no one wants to be around people like that. No, no, they yeah. don't. And I, I, I feel like, yeah, people think there's this um, sort of magic formula to being successful in your job. And I mean, I can only speak for my own ability, but it's just putting your head down and, and yeah. not not sort of being above your station and think you're better than you are. It's yeah. just do the job well to the best being of your a good ability. Person. Yeah. yeah. So the surrogacy was obviously a massive thing and it was amazing to read and as, as I said about the love like how much love there is there how special to have such an amazing best friend both of you are so lucky so oh, amazing it's, it's incredible I still think now and Lockie's three so I've had him for three years and it feels it really does feel like a dream that we even did that and yeah. I talked to I was just talking to Sophie actually yesterday afternoon and 
it's just even she sees it she says I can't believe we did that whole yeah. surrogacy thing you know if you'd said that to the two 12 year old girls who met at intermediate we <laughs> yeah. would have gone really what even yeah. is surrogacy <laughs> yeah. um and oh, yeah, we won't just, be having babies what are you talking about no way. <laughs> I was just very very lucky that the best friend I um as it turns out I have is someone who is incredibly selfless mm-hmm. And I also think she has got a very ambitious quality to her. Mm -hmm. So she is someone that likes excitement in her life. She likes to achieve things. She likes to set goals, tick them off. Mm -hmm. And this was no different for her. She saw that I really needed her. And she went, we're doing this. And once she decided, like, I'm going to do this. It was a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it was was funny before I read it in the book, I was thinking it to myself, how um, she said she was looking after the baby better because it was someone else's rather than her own. Yeah. We'd all do that. It's like when you have someone else's child to stay, you're like, oh, making sure they're all right, but your kid's fine. You're your own, aren't you? You really are. And that's, that's like, now you have a, you're right, you have a play date and you're like, oh gosh, I need to yes. watch them like a hawk. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I, throughout the surrogacy, I had not a single concern yeah. um, about Sophie because I knew her inside and out. I knew that she'd be amazing um, and she'd carried children before. So yeah. And she'd been through the grief with you. So, you know, and yes. that's where a lot of that love came from as well and she understood. Yeah. Us. And she knew my family inside and out. Yeah. Like, you say, so my, I met Sophie when I was 12 at Intermediate. Mm-hmm. And you think my sister's seven years younger than I am. So that's how long Sophie has also known my sister, for example. Yeah. And she knew my brother. So she's yeah. known my entire family. So even throughout the whole surrogacy process, when, you know, she would bump into my mum, who also lives in New Plymouth, where Sophie is. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've had this connection because my mum's known her since she was, you know, tiny. Yeah. So... Yeah, and is it incredible um, how you? Yeah, and it is spoiler alert all, all this, but people needed to have read your book first. But if not, <laughs> they'll be wanting to read anyway. But um, how you're saying you you could picture that baby before you even had it, like that was powerful. I know that sounds crazy, but and I don't feel like I'm superstitious and hugely, mm. I don't, I'm not someone who normally goes on hunches and things. Yeah. I do trust my gut on, on situations, but I really, really felt in my heart that I was going to have a son. And that is mm. bizarre because mm. I had two beautiful girls and I could have yeah. quite happily had another girl. Like I really could have, but I just knew that I was meant to have a son and I could picture exactly what he was going yeah, to look and like. Yeah, and for him to be like so like Stephen is just... Yeah, I know. It makes you wonder you what might, else is going on out there. <laughs> oh, it really does. And you might go, oh, yeah, but genetics to genetics. But when you look at Mackenzie, my daughter that came before Lockie, she's literally fair with blue eyes. She's yeah. the opposite to Lockie. You wouldn't know they're siblings. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. yeah, it's bizarre, really. And the other thing was, um, what was interesting was um, Sophie's emotions after ha- having the baby. So obviously those hormones of attachment were there. Yeah, um, yeah. It, that there gave us, it, it took us both by surprise. Mm. We, we, we knew that we were going into the process but no one really prepared you for that. Even Because mm, that, that's hormones, that's, that's just nature doing its thing, isn't it? And I, I think Soph ended up feeling pretty similar to what she did with her own kids in those mm. first few days, which is, it's a lot. And I so know you can see how, the, oh. how it can all go wrong. 
Like yes, yes, and I think I I, I think I said that in the book. You know, mm. um, I can't imagine how difficult it would be if you didn't know your surrogate because yeah. I know so inside and out. And even mm. then, I looked at what she was going through, and I knew she didn't want to feel that way. But you can't help the way yeah. you feel how your hormones make you cry and you know mm. you're reaching out for this baby that's not yours mm. and look that that eventually it only took three or four days for her yeah. to come right but I was I really wanted to make sure in the book people were aware of that because mm. I know from without knowing the ins and outs our surrogacy looked very straightforward but mm -hmm. actually it wasn't yeah. as straightforward as perhaps it appeared mm -hmm. and so there's um you know there's a lot of talk about surrogacy at the moment with um the wee girl they're trying to get the birth certificate changed yeah so yeah, her name yeah yeah where is that all at well the last I saw Patrick Gower who's um, been doing the story for News Hub a couple mm -hmm. of days ago he put up a post saying that the prime the prime minister had been asked it in a press conference and she said we're working through to fix that individual case so that's looking like it's very positive and going to change mm -hmm. but there are so many there are so many other issues um yeah, the whole having the to adopt back and everything yeah. yeah. And the biggest, the biggest one for me, and this would be my biggest fear if I was going to into surrogacy now, not knowing who my surrogate was, is that the onus, complete onus is in the hands of the surrogate. So when yeah. a baby is born, if the surrogate suddenly decides she would like to keep that baby, heaven forbid, yeah. he can take that baby right then and there because legally it is still hers until the adoption or until she signs um, over to give you the baby. Yeah. And I just think if you're going to enter into surrogacy, it should completely be the other way around. Mm. You know, it should be the, it should be an intending parents. And if there is some valid reason and valid reasons do occur where the surrogate doesn't think the couple is fit to look after the baby. Look, it yeah. might be a domestic violence situation. Mm -hmm. It might be um, that they're not who they said they were when they entered into the agreement, whatever. Yeah. Ensure, fight that with the family court, but it mm. shouldn't be on. It shouldn't be that way round. Yeah. It just suddenly, when the baby comes out, the surrogate decides to keep it because mm. I can just. There would be nothing worse. Oh, it's your child. Um, oh, imagine, it, oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, is there are there things being done to get that law changed? There's petitions the at the moment. Yep, the law yep. commission's just done their big submission process. And so I did a, a big submission and said what I thought, and that was one of the big ones I thought needed to change. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that means that it's up for ballot and they'll be it'll be happening in the next couple of years, which it desperately needs to, because so many people are turning to surrogacy now. Yeah, do you know how many? Uh, I don't know the exact stats, but I remember when we went through it and we had Oranga Tamariki or SIFs, they were called, come to vet us as parents. And she, I said, oh, this mustn't happen very often. She goes, oh, no, no, no. You would not believe how many surrogacies yeah. are happening. And that was then, that was three years ago. Yeah. Um, so, and I know, you know, there are a lot of homosexual couples that yeah. that's the way they go about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think good on them but they, they need to be protected and mm. the surrogate needs to be protected yeah too. like you say if all of a sudden the um the biological parents decide they didn't want the baby then it's all on the on the surrogate mother to yeah and, the child oh, and you don't think you don't think oh that will never happen but as we've seen in this latest surrogacy case where very sadly mm. the intending parent has died before she got to meet her daughter i mean things like that do mm. happen it's life yeah so they they need to have a better system. Mm. Another thing I thought might be quite interesting for our listeners to touch on, um, 
you know, we're really big on body positivity and the whole journey that um, everyone goes through. Um, and you did touch on it in, in your book about um, when you first went on television and then when you had all the steroids and things like that. So what can you talk us through a bit more about the, your journey through? Yeah, through that? Um, it's a crazy thing when you first um, are in the public eye because particularly I think, and I genuinely, genuinely wasn't that type of kid that thought a lot about my body image. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of the way we, we were raised on a farm and we were a very, very sporty family. So I almost didn't have the time to worry about too much what I was looking like for a party because it would literally be whipping yeah. off the netball dress and chucking something Getting on. Getting straight going, there to get there in yeah. time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you do, you as you get older and you um, get into your 20s, you start to think, I think, more about your image. And mm. also when you're on television, yeah. you have no option. Mm. Um, and people are to... all of a sudden scrutinizing you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I learned quite quickly that everyone that goes on the telly gets scrutinized. No matter what and, you look like, um, it's actually yeah. not about what you look like, is it? It's no, just, they will yeah. scrutinize the, the, the dress, particularly women, the dress you're wearing, or, oh, that makes you look pregnant, or I hate mm. those earrings, or why does she wear her hair like that? And even though you know that no one's immune to it and everyone gets it, it still, it actually mm. still does hurt and it does yeah. cut you. And then you start to think, oh, maybe, maybe my hair shouldn't be worn like that. And you start to second guess mm. yourself. And I think that's human nature. But and do you think I, there's something about seeing written words as well that's oh, cuts deeper than anything else? Yes, because it pops up and you, you're reading it often on your own. That person would never say it to your mm -hmm. face. And, you think, and unexpected, really? if you're having a conversation with someone and then someone comes and says something, you know, it might be relevant, but you're just going about your day and then all of a sudden you read something horrible that you weren't expecting to see. Oh, it must and just... The, and the th yeah, and the thing is, I think a lot of people that send these messages, they're actually not as malicious and, and um, terrible as you might think. Prime example, so I hosted the Melbourne Cup this week. On yep, I saw Tuesday. that. Yeah. yeah. And I, it, it was in the middle of COVID, so I couldn't, you can probably tell, diamond here, <laughs> couldn't get my hair cut, had to do my own hair and makeup, had to quickly source a dress. Well, um, you looked great. Must, might thank you. Yeah. And most people said that, but I did get a, a message from a woman mm. and she looked like she was probably in her 50s or 60s. Mm. And she said, just letting you know, <laughs> this is in my DMs, just letting you know, your dress looked horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, and I looked at her profile. And I was like, I don't think, I think she thinks she's doing me I a, see. A yeah. service. I, yeah. I actually think she genuinely was like, I need to let her know. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, and, and I think you don't realize unless you have those comments aimed at you. It's like, what yeah. did that, what did that Yeah. Serve? The intentions <laughs> aren't in, as malicious as they might come across. The, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think about that a lot because I feel like I'm probably less worried about my parents than most women are mm -hmm. and I've always I've never been super thin I'm quite comfortable I'm always carrying a few extra kilos and I'm kind of okay with that because yeah. I feel quite confident in myself but I know I've worked with a lot of women who absolutely stress over it mm. and I, I I guess I choose not to go down that road and that's not to say I don't have fat days where I go oh god I need to lose a bit of weight yeah. I absolutely do but you can either have those thoughts and let them dominate your mm -hmm. life or you can choose to be healthy and have a balance yeah. and be like you know what do I care enough that I'm going to let it make me miserable 
or am I going to be just happy in my skin, own it? And look, I don't want to be unhealthy. I, I do a lot of fitness and I try and eat healthy whenever I can, but I yeah. have vices and I also, I love to celebrate and I have occasions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just, I just think life's too short to let it completely dominate you. As long yeah. as you're healthy enough that you're not impacting your health. Yeah. I, I just think it's life is too short and also give it the perspective. It's just what you look like. And if you think mm. about what everyone else is thinking about what they look like, they're actually not worrying so much about you. No, they're they about think about themselves. They yeah. yeah. You know, they really are. Mm. Yeah. At the end of the day, it needs to be for you, whatever you're doing whether it's for your yeah. health or whether it is for how you look it's got to be for you because that's it's all that matters isn't it yeah and I think most people do feel good when they feel confident in what they look like yeah but I think there needs to be some reason around it as well because I feel like a lot of people do try and get to the unattainable yeah and what's the point of sitting in your deathbed in your 90s mm -hmm. And having worried for so many years trying to get to something that yeah. you're never going to get to. No, I just it, think, well, what's the point of that? Yeah, it's unachievable. You just have to focus on what I tell women, just, just focus on the process. And yeah. you're never actually going to get somewhere. So just focus on enjoying what you're doing now and enjoy looking after your body. Enjoy the fun nights out um, and take pride in, in your lifestyle because it's you know, making sure it aligns with the one that you want to live because that's what's going to make you feel yeah. good. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. And how often do we all look back at moments where we thought we looked oh, bad? And look we at actually photos look and you're like, wow. Yeah. I goodness, know. And I that was just looking shows at this you profile. how warped our mental state is. Oh, it's crazy. It? Yeah. I yeah. saw um, a profile photo from when I was traveling in, in Canada and I'm with these two girls who I thought were just way too pretty for me to be friends with them. And I always yeah. felt oh, yucky. I felt ugly. Inferior. I felt inferior. And yeah. I look at the photo and I'm like, what the, what exactly. was I thinking? But I also think you flip it around and you think of the people that you respect and you mm -hmm. value and you admire. And you think, are those people that sit there and stress over the way they look all mm. the time? Or are they just getting on and owning yeah. their life and loving it? Because yeah. I think that is your answer. If you're really aspiring to be someone that's always looking at themselves, yeah. then you've got to ask yourself, why am I admiring them? Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And you don't admire people necessarily for what they look like. It's their whole, it's their whole Essence, self and it's who it? they are. Yeah, yeah. And how they make yeah, you I feel. I think we all need to be reminded of that though, because I think you go like this, you go up and down mm -hmm. and you do have days where you're like, oh, I'm sick of my hair or I'm yeah. sick of the way I look. Yeah. It's natural, but just not to have it every day. Yeah. And it's saying those positive words in the mirror, I find really help. Yeah. Sorry. My daughter's just popped in. Oh, hello. Say hi. How are hi. you? Hi. <laughs> she's, I'm dominating my six-year-old's bedroom today. <laughs> I love it. Well, she's doing homeschool in the, in the perfect, lounge. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> I'm done, um, though, but I'm going to read a book. Okay, you go read a book, <laughs> darling. So sweet. So, yeah, I'm thinking about having getting a, a, a counsellor. So this is, I found yeah. this quite an, interesting that you spoke to your counsellor about your decision to leave Seven Sharp. So do you um, talk through, like, lots of decisions with your counsellor? It's not just about working on where you're at with your mental health that's discussing everything going on in, in your life and yeah it's it's funny you say that because the reason I went to see a counselor in the first place was because I felt really overwhelmed with 
a whole lot of decisions that were going on in my life. And it was when I was, I had been doing Seven Sharp for three and a half years Mm -hmm. and I loved the job, but the balance between having kids and doing that was starting to get out of whack. So I had Mackenzie as well. So she was little and Juliet was about to start school. Mm -hmm. And I knew that when she started school, I would be at um, seven sharp until after eight at night. So I wouldn't see her after school, be very fleeting in the morning. Uh, And I just, I started to get really anxious about it because it wasn't, being on seven chart wasn't wasn't aligning with what I thought I wanted to be as a mum. Yeah. Everyone has different ideas on that, you know, um, and I have worked all the way through, but it was the timing of it. I really wanted to be there after school for her because I know those precious hours. And even if I was getting home at five or six o'clock, that would be better. But seven chart meant I wouldn't be there till after eight, which often would be past her bedtime. And the thought of that for me, of going through another year, potentially two years, I've just never seen my child yeah at in the afternoon or evenings I just was like that is stressing me out yeah. so much and then but I suppose you was, were thinking but I can't leave seven sharp like yes it's a job exactly. of a lifetime like I was thinking why do? would I do that I'm totally mm. I finally got this amazing dream job why would I why would I do that and so it really played on me emotionally mm. I just I felt really stressed about it and um my mum suggested going to see someone about it because they couldn't really make give me the answers I wanted because mm. I needed to again I feel like it was that guilt thing and I think mm. I knew deep down what I needed to do but like but you said you need someone to tell you <laughs> yeah. I needed someone to or to help to tell me or to work out that it was actually okay to do that mm. and so I went to this counselor and um, she was amazing because she just talked through the pros and cons of everything and we talked about a whole lot of stuff that wasn't even related to work yeah And it just clarified everything for me. And it was like having this sounding board and it became very clear. And I remember walking out of her office after every session, just feeling like this weight had been lifted off me. And I knew that the decision I was going to make, it wasn't going to mean the world would end. Uh, I was only that it didn't mean my career had to end. And I just had to own the decision. And the moment I made that decision, I actually felt really good about it. I knew that I would miss the job, but Mm -hmm. I also backed myself that I would, it wouldn't be the end for me at TVNZ. And I just, I've never, ever regretted that decision. And, you know, I go back and I still fill in on seven sharp now and I still love it just as much as when I was there. But I think when you, when you make a decision that you know is right in your gut and it's aligned with your values, you can never go wrong Mm -hmm. because even if, even if I hadn't, managed to get back on the tally again I think I'd still be yeah, pretty content 100%. with what I'm doing yeah you know? yeah exactly so another big thing was your liver illness so that one was almost like what like how could this be happening as well it, it completely blindsided me and yeah. it's it's a real warning for people I think I mean, yes, the reason I reacted to the antibiotic was because I had this autoimmune condition. Yes, yeah. But I, it did open my eyes to how antibiotics can be hard on your system. So essentially what happened was I was about to host the Commonwealth Games for TVNZ. I got really bad laryngitis. My, my, th- my voice was going and I was panicking because it was happening in two days. And I went to my GP, not my usual GP, but that probably wouldn't have made any difference. And he prescribed me erythromycin and said, you know, this, this should get you through. And I took one or two tablets and started going yellow from head to toe. And 
that photo you put in the book is oh, insane when I say yellow from head to toe like literally, literally. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and I've never experienced anything so horrific in my life and I'd never I never knew about liver injuries because that's what I had I had a liver injury so what happens when you when you abuse your liver with whatever and this happens with allergic reactions it can happen when you um, become an alcoholic and overdo it to the point mm. where it gives you an injury and once you've got an injury it's injured and it has to heal and it takes anywhere from seven weeks onwards to heal and in that time there's nothing you can take for it and my liver specialist said that a lot of people who um, try and take their own life over who overdose on Panadol do not realize what it does to your liver it does the same thing and you can end up with this liver injury. At worst, you end up with a, well, at worst, you, you die. Um, mm. But you may have to get a liver transplant. And uh, there's no timeline for when you will get better. And you can't take anything for it. Because if you do, your liver has to process it. And it is not in a state because it is mm. completely in injury mode. So all the bile that it would normally get rid of in your system, it, it releases it to the skin. And that's why you go completely yellow. And you're essentially poisoned. And you just have to wait for your body either to get better or it won't. And you'll either die or have a liver transplant. And it's just, a, it's honestly, um, it was so, like, I've had a few things, like I've snapped my leg in half. I've, I had the Chug Strauss where I felt like my insides were burning out. But yeah, this, so back to that, because we've we missed, oh. uh, we haven't actually talked about the autoimmune. So I was yeah. going to say, what was worse, but you were about to answer me, that the yeah. liver. So different. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, Chug Strauss, I guess, was worse in the sense that I didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm. So I was in hospital and I knew something was badly wrong. And at the time I had this tiny newborn. So it's a very stressful time of not being able to eat, not being able to drink, vomiting, diarrhea, just burning in my stomach up all night, not knowing what was wrong. And the um, extra stress of not wanting your parents to go through oh, more pain no, my husband like mm. you know you just don't want to be burdening people so the moment I got diagnosed with Chug Strauss while the the treatments were stressful and the side effects of the drugs were hideous at least I knew what I had mm. with this liver injury um the moment I got it and started getting all of the symptoms there was just I know I knew what I had but there was no there was no timeline and every day felt like an eternity when you're lying on the couch in agony scratching you just feel nauseous and there's nothing you can do about it there's not one painkiller you can take they gave me this furry kind of drink to try and um it's meant to do something to the bile but they said we don't even know if it really works it might be a placebo that helps you slightly it was that kind of scenario and you just you felt like you were just wallowing whiling away the days just you know never getting better there was never any improvement and that was really hard to deal yeah, with and it seems crazy because most things you think you get sort of diagnosed or something and you go to the doctor or hospital and they treat you and you get given medication or something and yeah. then you go home and you you either oh, i was i was yeah. shocked that with the liver injury that they couldn't give me or do anything mm. i actually asked the specialist to put me in a coma that's how bad i felt and oh. she said we can't do that and she said i know how bad it is she said um, there was a, she gave the example, and I said, use this in the book of this policeman in, in England, and he has itching because you. Oh, that's right. He, he got the liver transplant. Yeah. yeah. He got the liver transplant because he could not deal with the insane itching. And it's, it's so bad. It's not just a normal itch. It's like, oh, if you're trying to 
itch your inside and you can't get oh. there. It's very hard to make feet itchy now just yeah. talking about it. If I get a stomach bug, which doesn't happen as often as it did when the kids were toddlers, man, it was like every second week laid off oh. on the couch with a stomach bug. Same. I um, remember that. Yeah. It feels like hell and that's two or three days. But I know. How, and you it, know nine or ten weeks right. in the end before it started coming right, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I makes me terrified now. So because the bad reaction I had, and look, I've taken on antibiotics my whole life and never had a reaction. But because I now have the autoimmune disease, it mm. basically switches something in your immune system that then be- you become just allergic to more things. Yeah. And so now I can't have antibiotics for anything. So I have to be very, very careful. Mm. Like if I get strep throat, for example, most people would go and get an antibiotic. Mm. So I'm going to, I will just have to ride that out because they're too scared to give me. Uh, so how long does strep throat take to? Um, I actually had it last year. Um, yeah. I, oh, I, I, ironically, I actually heal re- relatively quickly from things like that. So yeah. I was okay. I think I got over it in a week. Yeah. So. Can you talk though? Can you talk on radio, on TV during that time? Um, no, I think I had a, a few days off. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> I think it's a it's a good it's a good warning not to um, be very careful how much Panadol you take too. Yeah. You know, don't think it says two Panadols every four hours. Don't think you get clever and take more. Mm. I tell you what, you do not want to end up with a liver injury. No hangover is worth it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you've written a book, and as you said at the start, you've never written a book. And yeah, that's one of the things I thought. Like, how the hell do you write a book? And it's yeah. so well written. What do you oh, do? Well, like, who does it? Do you do it? How does the whole well, thing, it was a combined process work? Effort. Yeah. It was a combined effort. So when I first got asked to do it, I was like, no way. I don't have yeah. any time. Yeah. <laughs> do you realize I'm a psycho and I fit all <laughs> these things in and I'm hanging by a thread here? Yeah. And um, Relatable. They slowly, yeah, they slowly <laughs> talked me through the process and said, no, 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 we can give you a ghostwriter. And then I was really unsure on that because I was like, what do you mean? Someone writes about my life? And they said, mm. no, 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 no what happens is you sit with the person and they interview you, right? So they, you talk for hours and this yeah, is what And they write the story based on what you so told for, them. So for 18 months, we started doing an hour every week and I chose Sophie Neville who um, lives not far from me um, and knows my kids and she's written for the Woman's Day. So I knew she knew how to write. She'd never written the book before either. Oh, wow. How cool. But she yeah. knew my voice and I thought yeah. that was really important. Mm-hmm. So what, what she does is she gets it all. They have professional transcribers, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So she, the, the book company paid for someone to, you know, Sophie would record all the interviews. They would then transcribe them all, send them to her. And she would basically work the chunks of my interview around to clump them into chapters mm. and to give them a thread. Wow. And it's incredible. So then she does that. And we discussed the way I wanted to start the book mm-hmm. and the way we might want it to end. And then I become the editor. So I spent hours and hours going through what I had told Sophie and how she'd structured them to make sure that every single word was my voice and to make sure that it was expressions I would use and to make sure it was accurate. Because inevitably, when Sophie would lay out the book, she'd have to link a couple of things together and I'd say, oh no, that's not exactly right. So I'd go through and slash. It was actually, yeah. it was, that part of it was a bit stressful actually. Yeah. And a bit, um, a bit painful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah it, it really was. And I had, I found it really difficult to go back. And in fact, I haven't read the book uh, since we did the final copy because I do find it very heavy. And yeah, I know I my mum felt that too. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, 
has your mum read the book? Yes, she has, because I wanted to be sure that her and dad and Sophie, surrogate Sophie, were okay with it because mm-hmm. I got the permission to, to write about it to start with. Mm. And mum was actually the one who encouraged me to do it. She thought it would be very, very therapeutic. And it Mm. was. But the day that I, because a lot of the experiences I talk about at the start of the book were when I lost my twin brother, I was 18 months old. Mm. So you don't remember it, yeah. So I had to sit with mum for a whole day and rehash everything, which was really painful. Mm. And there was lots I didn't even know about. That, and my sister said the same. When she read parts of the book, she said, oh, I didn't even know about that. So that's why it's been quite a positive thing for our family because there was a lot. Yeah, do you feel like you're not supposed to see your parents in pain, kind of? Like they're supposed well, to be the ones that are strong, kind of, and it's really hard to see your parents struggling? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I think most good parents don't want their kids mm. to be burdened by their pain that's and I think it works both ways I mm. didn't feel like I wanted my parents to be burdened by my grief either because I knew they already had enough of their own yeah and but then actually, the last thing they want is you to be burdened by their grief like that is probably the most painful thing for them is thinking that you're carrying totally. but then grief. it's completely not healthy to not grieve yeah. and to not express yourself and you also don't want them to think that you don't care either mm. so that's why when they say everyone grieves in different ways and how grief can at times upset people. And I think it's because everyone's trying to do the best for the people around them, not necessarily how you feel at that particular time. And then by, by, and I think in hindsight, you're probably best to just feel whatever you're feeling at that time, just to go with the feelings as opposed to trying to be anything you're not. Yeah. And I actually think in hindsight, it might've been better for mum and dad to see me more upset. Because yeah. I tried to be the happy, and perhaps they looked at that and thought, "What's going on here?" Even yeah, they would have seen through. It, I'd say, or, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and it's probably given them some peace that you all know exactly where you're at with it. Yeah, and yeah. I think writing this book has really helped that because yeah. Mum has said she didn't understand, she didn't know the responsibility that my sister and I were carrying either Mm. Um, because for her and, and, and me too, you know, the grief that she talked about, I only saw what she let me see, Mm -hmm. you know, which is probably not half of what she was really going through. Yeah. So what now you did say when we're talking about ambitions that there's not too much happening, but I saw something that you are doing with ASB. (laughs) Yeah, this is, Oh God, this, this always happens with me. Um, I say to my husband, oh, we'll just have a quieter year next year. <laughs> this year. Famous last words. Oh, this year it started with the America's Cup, which went from December until March and then the Olympics. And then this book was bubbling away. Yeah. And so that's all come out. And we thought, oh, we'll just do nothing. And then I got asked <coughs> by TVNZ to be part of this new Seven Sharp series. And I really, really like the sound of it so essentially what it is it's called ASB Game Changer mm-hmm. and they've asked for people to apply who and it's all relating to how things are in COVID so people who have struggled perhaps with COVID maybe you've got massive debt that you've had to just put on because of the way things are you can't get around it you're struggling to buy to save for a deposit for a house you can't buy a car whatever it is any financial issue you have they want you to apply and essentially what will happen, I will, they'll pick 10 Kiwi people, families, mm-hmm. couples, whatever. Um, I'll come and visit you, discuss what the problem is, and then ASB will match you an expert that is, will stay with you for six months 
So say if it's, I've got $20,000 on my credit card and it's freaking me out and I can't sleep at night because of it. The expert from the credit card department will work with you on a plan to make sure that you eat into it. And it might be the fact that you've got the debt in the wrong account or they might mm-hmm. get you to shut down the credit card altogether and put it here or there. Or, and or they help I'll you budget to, or whatever so that yeah, you can make it whatever happen. it takes because yeah. they have a whole raft of them in different areas. Then I'll come and visit you six months later, see how your progress is and um, then things may go from there. And I yeah, can't what a great idea. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great idea because I think of myself and I don't think I'm particularly good with finances. I am absolutely a spender, not a saver. Yeah. And uh, recently we went and got a bit of financial advice and it was quite staggering how much money we were wasting on mm. things that we didn't even realize. And I think Kiwis just traditionally aren't very good at it. We yeah. like to stick our head in the sand and think, oh, magically we'll just be able to save. And it's like, yeah. it's like weight, weight loss or fitness. Mm-hmm. Unless you have an intention and you actually take the steps. And you're consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. our lives now, we do compare to, you know, the lives we lived when we were growing up. We do eat out a lot and we do a lot of activities, oh. like everything costs that we do. Yes. I look at even the kids' activities mm. and even that, do you know, the big one when we were looking at our costs the other day, the streaming platforms. I yeah. was like, these, if, if you can really, if you want, there's Neon, there's Netflix, there's mm. Amazon, there's Disney Plus, there's, yeah. oh, um, they're just out the wazoo. And I just think if you like got all of those, plus you might want Sky, you think, do you really need all those platforms? Because yeah. that's a fee every single month without you even knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I have charges that come through from Apple that I don't actually know what they're for. Same. I had to ask my husband, I said, what, and we even worked out that we were paying for two Spotify accounts ah. and they, and we didn't need that because one yeah. of them was a dual membership. It's like, oh man. Yeah. And those little things add up, you know, that- they really do because if you do a little bit of improvement in every area that you say it's food and beverage, a little improvement, clothes, mm. gift buying, and suddenly you have an extra 5,000 a year that you could have just flushed down the toilet the year yeah. before. I mean, we have touched on it and you do touch on it and we'll talk about it a lot in the book, but advice for those who are thinking about surrogacy? I would absolutely entertain it because it has changed my life and I would never not do that again. But I would just tread carefully and I would think very long and hard about one, who your surrogate is, and I would take the counselling seriously. And I, I, I would make sure that you put a big amount of emphasis on it because it is so important to make sure you're on the same page as your surrogate. And it can be an absolutely wonderful thing, but you need to be thorough and it can't just be a box ticking exercise because you're doing that, that counselling to protect you at the other end. And I think you have to remember it's not something you just need to get the tick off from ECART, which is the approval committee. It's actually giving you the confidence that this is right for everyone. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, go into it thinking this isn't a necessarily a yes. We're entertaining the possibilities and let's see where it takes us. Because I guess the challenging part of it is you might decide, yes, surrogacy is totally what we want to do, but then you have to get the exact right person to do it with. Yes, you do. And the counselling is so much for them too, because they might think they want to do it, but the Mm. realities might be different. So, and you have group counselling where you're sitting in there with them. And if you get the inkling that that person isn't entirely committed, Mm. then you need to listen to your gut. Yeah. Oh, something else too that's um, I think 
I've struggled with in my life is knowing how to support people who are going through tough times and who are grieving, who have had tragedy in their lives, even if you don't know them that well. So there's people you know well and there's people you don't. I know a lady in Twizel lost her daughter and she said people would cross the street to avoid speaking to her because they felt awkward. Yep. yep. I know, I know that that has particularly happened to my mum. And I think particularly if you lose a child, people find it very awkward to talk about. And I've um I've, I've got a couple examples to give you here. So First of all, my friend Emma, one of my best friends from school, she was a bridesmaid of mine. She rang me earlier this week and she said, I've just finished your book. And she loved it. And she said, but she goes, I feel so bad. She said, I, because she knew my brother and we grew up together. Mm. And she said, I feel like I didn't support you properly when he died. You know, I've, I've heard about the grief. And, and I said to her, I said, Emma, first of all, we were 18. Mm. And secondly, the best thing you can do for someone who's grieving is not to sit there and talk about their grief. It's to just be there. So whether it's to be there to have a cup of tea, it's, I said, Emma, all the parties we would go to together, they are a distraction for me. It's just having people around and who care enough to check in, not necessarily to check in, hey, how are you? But to check in and say, hey, do you want to go to a movie or do you want to meet a um, comfort dinner or or whatever? And I, another example is I've got, um, a friend of mine who asked me recently, oh, I'm not sure where to go, whether to go to blah, blah, funeral. I don't really like funerals, so I don't think I'll go. And I said, you don't like funerals, so you're not going to go. Yeah. I said, this is sounding very much like this is about you, mm. not about the person you're actually wanting to support. Mm. I said, if you really care about that person, you'll put your feelings aside. Of Because look, no one likes to be around grief and death. It's no. not a great fun time. No. But if you really care about the person that has lost someone, you'll go for their sake and put your feelings aside. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. It's literally about turning up. So if you're tossing up, oh, should I send them a card? That means your gut's telling you to you've send thought a card. about it. That yeah. means go. That means yeah. go to the funeral. It means send the card. It means go and drop the baking off. Yeah. And don't don't double think that because yeah. your first thought is the right one, I think, in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember being overwhelmed by the people who I barely knew that sent me things. And it mm-hmm. was really touching. I mean, they thought enough about me to send this card mm-hmm. or to come. But but by the same token, hurt by some people that I thought would have come and seen me mm-hmm. that didn't. Yeah. You know, and I and I know now the reason they probably didn't was because they found it too hard and they didn't know what to say. Yeah. But I think at a time like that, you've got to get over yourself and just yeah. do it. Put your yeah. own emotions aside. Yeah. And yep, you yeah. might turn up and it might be the wrong time, but they'll notice you've turned yeah. up. So turn up yeah. and then you just walk out if it's the wrong time. You say, Hey, I'll leave what? you. Person, That's fine. It's all good. Yeah. The person who's grieving won't think, Oh, they came at the wrong time. They'll think, Well, they cared enough to turn up. That's yeah. what they'll think. And they're probably also thinking, Oh, I feel bad that I wasn't in the right frame of mind when they came. I'll yes. have to make it up to them later. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, you just, you, you're you in such a fragile state when you lose someone that you just need to feel the love for as many people as you can in any yeah. way or form that comes. Yeah, and um, it probably happens a lot at the start, you know, in the first few months, and then perhaps people stop, do they? And is that when things become oh, hard, yeah. when the visitors... Yeah. And- stop coming and the apart from yeah. that one guy that came every day I know mum and dad's yeah. best friend Daryl yeah, yeah. he did and I remember thinking Daryl 
Daryl's sitting on the couch again. He's just had dinner. And, yeah. and you know what? it was so good for us kids too, because when it was just the four of us, we'd all be staring mm. at each other all sad. When you have that one person that can just break the ice, it actually made it more comfortable for yeah. everyone. Just changes the dynamics. And makes, totally yeah. did. Yeah. So what about um, advice for anyone who has your autoimmune disease? I'm not going to try and say it. <laughs> can you say it for me? Hugh Strauss. Hugh <laughs> Strauss. No doubt they've probably reached out to you anyway, but just in case. Yeah, it's funny because I had a 24-year-old that I called last weekend. A friend of a friend said this person got it and she wanted to know whether she should get the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. Because, and I get the hesitancy there because I felt that initially too, especially after my liver drama. Yeah, what's it going to do to my organs? Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, but and everyone has to see their own specialist. But mm. I do know with autoimmune patients, your compromised immunity makes you more susceptible to COVID and means you'll probably get hit harder, which means there's even more of a reason why you need to get that vaccine. Yeah. So we talked through that. But just autoimmune in general, I think... Um, it's a very hard thing to get your head around because you can have symptoms for quite a while and not realize what you've got and it kind of makes you feel a bit crazy and it really is exhausting because you get these big bouts of asthma and then eczema and then you get some burning sensation but then it just gets to the point where you can't cope and then it might go away for a few weeks and you You think think, oh no everything's fine yeah yeah and so it's just this emotional roller coaster but you never feel 100% well and so I just know how that feels and I also know once you get on top of it how your life can change because I feel when you're in it it feels like you're never going to get better there's always going to be something wrong with you and And you're the only one going through it It sucks the life out of you it Mm. sucks the spark out of you it really does Um, And even though you have to often, with any form of autoimmune, go through massive bouts of steroids, I've been on things like people relate mycophenolate, methotrexate, um, massive doses of intravenous prednisone, and it makes you feel like literally a bag of assholes, it just, and you bloat up and you, then you look unwell and that makes you feel even more unwell and it's this horrible spiral. Mm -hmm. And you can't exercise because you get so exhausted. And if you try and push it, then you suffer for the next five days because of it. But <laughs> if you do what you meant to do, it might take a bit of time. But once you come into remission, like I feel 100% well right now, even though I'm on a low dose of steroids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time, I never thought I'd feel well again. So yeah. it's just deep trust that these drugs are going to eventually put you in remission, I think yeah. would be my advice. Yeah. And you don't know if it's going to come back at any time. You just have to live in the moment and know that it's working yeah. at the moment. So that's what matters. And just listen to your body and monitor it. And the odds yeah. are I will probably come out of remission at some stage. But for now, everything's going well. And just to know not to panic if things do deteriorate because yeah. you know that you can get well again. You know what the process is. Yeah. Awesome. Right. We've got some fun questions to finish off. Yeah, I was a bit nervous writing these. So I thought, I can't ask Tony Street that. Like, yes, you can. <laughs> but yeah, I'm He's sure. He's not I can. much off limits with me. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, uh, netball. Um, I think we might have ju- we must have just missed each other because I played Canterbury netball and then went down Did to you? Dunedin. Yeah. So when were you in Christchurch? So I was 2002. So okay. 2002, three, four, five. Yeah. Okay. So that 2002 was my form year. So I was. And ah, so oh, I was in. I well, I was playing for Rangi Ruru in Simpson, yes. and I played for. You know, Crush. 
Christchurch under Funny you say that. Yeah. I went and coached at Renguru. Yeah. I coached the full form 18 when mm-hmm. I was at university. Brenda Robery got me. Yeah, she coach. was our coach. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. So Good I was team. in Christchurch under 17. So were you in Christchurch under 19 then? Yeah, I would have yeah. been under 19s when you were 17s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. What position did you play? Goal attack. What about you? Nice. I was center wing attack. Center wing attack. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I moved to moved to wing attack a bit. You have to be a bit taller to be goal attack. These days you do, don't you? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but good if you can if you can shoot goals though, huge advantage because mm. we're so short on shooters in this country. That's yes. what I tell my my girls that I coach and like guys shoot hoops if you want to go far yeah <laughs> and grow tall yes <laughs> so cricket or netball then so there's a yes no questions or an instant question to play so what's netball, your favorite yeah to play netball to watch cricket ah interesting and do you like test matches or one days or 2020s one day is one day is yeah. so you're a proper cricketer yeah, well, like me, who's into the twenty twenties. <laughs> I mean, I like it all, but if I had to choose, yeah. Um, hit or yoga? Hit. That's that slowing down. You probably need to be doing more yoga, Tony. It's not what I, what's good for me is probably the yoga. What I enjoy is the hits. <laughs> I'm exactly the same as you. Um, when you wear tights, do you wear underwear or do you free the foo foo? Oh, I wear underwear all the do way. You? Yeah, and I don't even care, like, if I've got lines. But is it uncomfortable? No, I don't find it uncomfortable at all. In fact, I think I would be uncomfortable the other way. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's definitely, whatever camp they're on for that, they are definitely strong that way. (laughs) It just never occurred to me that I wouldn't wear underwear. My life changed when I stopped, when I... Really? Yeah. I might have to try it. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know what I'm missing out on. Let me know. City or country? It's a big one for you. You know, I think I'm city. Yeah, interesting. I loved growing up in the country, yeah. but I can't imagine me living there now. I yeah. was well, a, you couldn't a, have a your city life, could slicker you? that had the benefit of the country. But yeah. you ask my dad, he'd be like, you didn't milk the cows. <laughs> you didn't milk it. yeah, yeah. Um, it's so nice to have that country upbringing, though. Oh, I wouldn't not have changed my upbringing for the world. And I wish my girl, my girl, my girls would say country. Yeah. They're obsessed. They think they're going to live in New Plymouth on the farm when they're yeah. older. So do they go there every holidays? Yes. Whenever yeah. we can get there, it's their favorite place to go. It's a yeah. bit of a sore point. They were meant to go for the October school holidays. Uh, and yeah. COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not fun. Um, North Island or South Island? I have to say North. Even All right. We're just going to end this now. <laughs> <laughs> I love the South Island. The South Island. Four years there at university, my husband is from the South Island and I choose to holiday in the South Island. Okay, okay, you're but okay then. I grew up in the North and I now live <laughs> in the North, so I have to stay strong. Do you pee in the shower, yes or no? Yes. Blazer. Is that or... embarrassing? No, everyone said yes. So I'm, I'm yeah. a farm girl, remember, I yeah. don't care. I was asked first. Uh, we, you know, when we first started doing these questions, it was me. And I said, yes. And then I did. I went home and I thought, hold on a minute. If I just <laughs> <laughs> expose like something really bad, but no, everyone, all this, you're the fourth person that's been asked and everyone said yes. Just don't care. I'm like, I'm, yeah. yeah. Or it's, it's not like we are not going to the toilet and choosing the shower instead of the toilet. It's just. No, a... <laughs> I wouldn't do it if, 
if, if, if the water wasn't running. Yeah. Uh, you you probably have at Lincoln though, no doubt. Oh, I don't think so. I wasn't a dippy, put it that way. <laughs> What's next, blazer or leather jacket? Blazer. Floral. I've got both. Yeah, like you've got to have both. Yeah. Yeah. These questions are hard because you always have to come in and, and justify because they're so tricky that they're floral or stripe. Floral. Toddlers or babies? Toddlers. Even though they can be problematic, but three-year-olds, <laughs> I think, is the cutest age. Yeah. Cook dinner or wash the dishes? Cook dinner, 100%. Spag bowl or macaroni cheese? Spag bowl. It's one of my favorite meals. Oh my gosh, same. I had it last <laughs> night actually, and I had some leftovers before I chatted to you. So good. Oh, hits the spot every single time without it. It does. And it's e like my every time meal. you're like, I forgot how good this tastes. Like, how does and this it's taste? It's so, so simple. Good? Yeah. <laughs> so simple, but so great. Yeah, and the whole family loves it. All right, big one TV or radio? Oof. I, I, is there, do I have to pick one? Yeah. Well, oh. Yeah. ideally but when I had these questions answered me there was one question I just said no nah, I can't I can't choose I'm so 50 50 on this yeah but do you know what just because I'm gonna say it based on this year mm -hmm. and based on this year I have to say TV because of the opportunities it's given me to cover yeah. the America's Cup and the Olympics awesome. even though I adore my radio job but this year particularly TV has given me the expector yeah and TV is kind of Bigger than radio, you know, it's, it's you're watching yeah, it's, a person rather than just listening to me, watching and listening rather than yes, just listening. Yes, yes. And yeah. it's, and I think um, if it was just me doing Seven Sharp and radio, it would be different. But these were two pretty spectacular, yeah. unique events. That's yeah. why. And in the same year. I know. Who would and have thought? How did you, like, I struggle to, um, you know, fill in gaps now. How did you fill in like three hours? You're saying the book, get to th fill in. <laughs> When Honestly, races didn't the, go ahead. Oh, the one day where there was no wind, I think back to it and I feel like I was going mildly insane by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never knew you could ask so many questions about sailing. Just thank goodness <laughs> I had Dean Barker sitting next to me. That's all I can say. Yeah, and you, you <laughs> obviously have to do so much research beforehand to just to know everything about it's, it, to be sitting there having a conversation with an expert. Especially for like sailing. Yeah. Because yeah, you know what it's like. You grow up playing netball and yeah. you know everything there is to know about that game because you played it. But I didn't sail. So yeah. when you don't grow up with it, and it's not a sport in New Zealand like rugby, cricket or netball where the public just knows inherently. Yeah. So I did. I prepped all summer for that. And did you have to watch a lot of previous events? And I'd already I'd, I'd already hosted the San Francisco League of oh, the cool. America's Cup. Yeah. So I felt like I had that behind me, which yeah. was good. Mm -hmm. um, but I had to, and I remember the historic moments of 95 when I was Oh, young. yeah, we'll never forget that. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. Watching America's Cup amazing. is now New Zealand's Cup. Ah, oh, I know. And I think that's the thing. If you grow up for sports, if you grow up in a sporting family, that really helps your knowledge in general of sport. Yeah. Because yeah. you talk about it. Mm. I guess um, you wouldn't get the job if you weren't knowledgeable and interested in sport to begin with yeah so would you rather drive or be a passenger drive control free 100% <laughs> and um, I hate sitting in the back seat because I get car sick oh do you yeah <laughs> shotgun then yeah I've um taught my kids shotgun because I was 
I probably shouldn't have one in the front, but I've got three kids. Sometimes one's in the front driving to town because it stops the fighting in the back. And then we had the fighting about who was going to sit in the front. So now I taught them shotgun. So now I might have to do that. (laughs) I think I say shotgun with things. So they're going to learn it off me just by osmosis. (laughs) Um, Gin or vodka? Gin. One more, beach or lake? Beach. Beach. And I wish I had some more hairy ones, but... That is all no. a prep. So they were great. They were so many of them. It just shows me I'm actually pretty definite on most of my things. Actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even though you struggled with TV or radio, you made a decision, which is awesome. Well done. Totally. I don't <laughs> often sit on the fence. I like people yeah. that can make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time, Tony. It was lovely um, chatting to you. Yeah, and you I too. feel like we've bonded over our netball. Yeah, I feel definitely. Like we were- we yeah, I'm sure club. we would have met. Yeah. Yeah. And then and um, we probably would have played club. Did you play yeah. after school club netball? Yes. Yeah, so I moved to Dunedin and so oh, I yeah. played for Otago down there and then came back and um, played for Hearts. Yeah. Um, but that was in 2000 and when I moved back would have been 2007. So you would have probably gone by then. I would have been gone by then. But if I you were for Tech and Burnside when I was there. Yeah. So yeah. you didn't you didn't play for Lincoln? No, we didn't have to because I was on a cricket scholarship. Oh, and Lincoln were only in senior, weren't they? They went in premier. Yeah, they weren't prems. So, oh. yeah, so I played prems. Because we used to play Lincoln. Lincoln. Uh, our, uh, um, our school team, we were in senior yeah. grade. Yes, you would have. And yeah. my rep coach of Canterbury 19s, who you probably know her, Jenny, she went on to play, um, be involved with the Canterbury Flames. Um, Jenny was our under-19 coach, and then okay. she created the Burnside Club, and we all yeah. went and played for Burnside after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, um, do you still play at all? No. I I, I played pre-netball in Auckland when I came up for TVNZ, played for Carmel, but then my job just got so much in the way mm-hmm. that I'd be away when I went to have games. And as you know, you can't do that in the Premier League. Yeah. So it was sad because I loved it, but I'd probably be useless if I went back now. No, you wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> We'd be those, I, um, you'd be those, remember at high school, you'd play those teams with the older ladies and they they could hardly move. Wily old ladies them, just but... knew what to do. <laughs> Didn't need to extend as much energy, just yeah, need to put their bodies out. Exactly, and that often pip you on the last five minutes. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I will let you get on hey. with your day and your lockdown life. Which... Thanks for interviewing me. I really appreciate oh, it. Thank you so much for your time. It was awesome. Thanks, Tony. Great to chat. Thank See you. Ya. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. It was with Tony Street, so I'm sure you enjoyed it. Please share this with your friends and family and remember to subscribe so that you get notifications so that you don't miss out on our new episodes. Make sure you check out all our episodes from season two. There's been four, including this one so far. And if you've missed any from season one, have a listen as well. Some of our faves are Kerry Knight, the massive journey that is reality TV, that's season one. Anna McDermott from Anorexia to Motivating Thousands, also in season one. And then season two, Kate Ivy Moi, How It All Began. 